to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like fried chicken and meatball subs. Food featured in our new Best Picture winner. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian Machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today, my man? I'm upset. Yeah? Why are you upset? Because you won. I did win. Uh, allow me for a, a brief moment to gloat. It was This one was tough this year, David. So every year for the past nine years, this is our ninth year, we all get together, uh, David, myself, sometimes David, um, myself, and a group of our friends and family, and we do our annual Oscar pool where everybody enters in $10, everybody gets a ballot, and everybody fills out who they think is going to win the Oscars, and then whoever wins the most not only takes home the money, but takes home the title belts. The Popcorn Diet Podcast Oscar Championship. And this year it came down to a three-way tie. David, you did not have a great performance this year, I think. And I'd say that with no malice. I think you can agree. Not a great performance yeah. this year. I mean, it was middle of the road. It was middle of the road. Um, and it wound up being uh, myself and Matt Theodosis, good friend of the podcast, uh, had been on the podcast before, tied with, I believe it was... Um, oh God, uh, 18, I think, correct? We only got six wrong each. And at the very last moment, neither of us got Best Picture correct. But Austin Frankie, another good friend of ours, another good friend of the podcast, guessed that Green Book would win Best Picture and got the three-way tie. And the way that we solve a tie in the uh, Oscar for the Oscar championship is we play uh, a round-robin-style game where somebody from the audience picks an actor or actress, and then we name off different movies that that certain actor or actress has been in until we can't name them anymore. And the last person standing gets the title. And so they... Uh, my sister, Leah Theodosis, good friend of the podcast, picked up and picked out Steve Martin. And it was really hard. I was my I, I thought I was going to lose because I didn't I just blanked on every Steve Martin. Uh, kind of a perfect pick because not a gigantic, you know, filmography, but some really iconic stuff. And I won because I named Prince of Egypt. That was the last movie named. And so I won the money. I won the title. And I'm very happy to be your 2019 Oscar champion. You're not my Oscar champion. Once again, in your hearts, in your minds, you know it to be true. Um, but yeah, man, that, I mean, obviously that was that was a lot of fun. But we're coming right off of the Oscars, literally fresh. They ended like less than an hour ago. And we're here to react about them. Uh, uh, again, as we said in our um, in our preview episode our predictions episode i'm glad this is over man i'm glad that i don't have to talk about the oscars again for another what until we do our way too early oscar predictions yes um i just this whole season has been just a, kind of annoying to be honest and even now after green book wins best picture a movie that in my opinion is okay it's you know it was charming it had charms to it i didn't think it was my best picture but it won in twitter film twitter is already just it's 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 bad 
Like, it's just out there, and everybody's upset, everybody's angry. And, um, yeah, man, I'm just glad it's over, you know? How do you feel about it? You know, I, I don't know that you were as deep into it as I was. No, I mean, listen, I already know what, what the Twitterverse is, <laughs> and it can be fun, it can be frustrating, it can be annoying, it can be a range of emotions. Um, I don't really feel the need to... Uh, get too deep into what's happening on Twitter because you 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 dig deep enough you're gonna find terrible things you you know but you'll also find some fun things too right um, for me I am definitely glad it's over I think this was one of the most like confusing and unpredictable um, Oscar seasons but I think it also came with both good surprises in the in the awards as well as some bad surprises. So yeah, I would agree. I, for one, like to start out with the, the positives. Um, one of the ones that jumps out to me is we had a little, a little mini run for black Panther. Um, <laughs> very we, mini run. We got back to back awards for it. And I believe costume was announced first and then, uh, production, production design, design. Yeah. uh, which was pretty awesome to see. Um, not only, you know who was awarded um i think there it was the first time that first time in a long time that someone uh african-american had female had mm -hmm. been won in something not acting only three times in history has an african-american woman won an oscar uh, for something other than acting two times happened tonight yeah which is pretty cool it happened back to back yep um, I love it. So that was pretty awesome to see. I also think it was cool to see. I think to me, I always get bored when the same old movies get like when it's so predictable. I mean, it's like if you want to win a costume award, just do a period piece. Yeah. Like and that's going to win you it. Right. And, and I'm glad that superheroes won it. It was time. nothing against the favorite. But like to me, yes, you did a great job at, at clothing them. But it's like you know exactly what you need to do to give them the proper costumes. Like it was a period. So all you have to do is go back to that period, look what they were wearing and put <laughs> yeah. them in something that looks like that. Whereas with black Panther, like you had to imagine a world and decide what they would be wearing. Right. And how do you make it look both futuristic, but also attribute to the region that it's from absolutely and the African culture that it was representing. And so to me, that was the much greater accomplishment than putting someone in what something that would have been worn X number of years ago, um, because there was no template for what they should look like. So right. that was exciting for me. And, and production design, I think was just another way of honoring by far the most successful movie uh, of this year and one of the most successful movies of all time. Absolutely. And I, uh, the look had, had a big part to do with it. A um, couple of good surprises for me. I going kind of to wrap up your thoughts on black Panther, you know, out of the nominees this year, that was my chosen uh, best picture. Um, not in, in our official competition, but it was because in our official competition, I go for what I think is going to win. I wanted Black Panther to win. Um, but And it also won Best Score, which is awesome. Um, it was the first superhero film to be nominated for Best Score since Superman back in the 70s. And it won. And that's really cool. Uh, I was really, really happy about that. I think the biggest surprise of the night was Olivia Coleman winning. For the favorite, which was a joy because Olivia Coleman has just been an absolute delight. Uh, and she was a delight on stage again, just really affable and really, really 
real, you know? Um, and her speech was one of the best parts of the night. It was charming and funny and it was real and it was disjointed. It wasn't it wasn't eloquent, but it was it was lovely. So like you gotta talk about how big of a, a, a win that is and how big of a an upset that is, because this is a big upset. Um, that being said, like, I feel terrible for Glenn Close um, because, you know, she's now been nominated seven times. She's now lost seven times. That's rough for one of our probably one of our best living actresses. And what do you, you know, what are you going to do about it? There's got to be four losers. You know, there's only one winner, unfortunately, which that goes into the conversation of <laughs> of if I uh, if I agree with the Oscars anyways, you know, because. This is, again, I'll say it again. This is one of the, it's the weirdest parts of the year for me because you and I love the Oscars. But again, we're giving awards to a subjective medium where everybody's favorite is the correct answer. So that's a little crazy to me, but that was a good surprise for me. But to, but to me with on, on that whole topic too, because as much as I have a love-hate relationship with the Oscars, I think to me it's because of that love-hate that I enjoy it so much sure. uh, because it's unpredictability. Uh, it's just like watching sports. Like you have a favorite team and you want them to win. And if they don't win, you're pissed. Exactly. And the same thing with the Oscars. Like you have the movies you think should win and you want to win. And if they don't win, you get upset. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, there's people that are going to be happy. Just like when your team loses in a sport, someone else's team won and they're happy. Um, and so there's, you know, even like when you, you know, tying back to sports, there's always the debates of who's the greatest player or who, what sure. was the best team and things like that. And so it, everything's always going to be subjective. And so, um, like we talk about on the podcast all the time, like you can love whatever movie you want and that's not wrong. Um, obviously I think, and we'll get into this later, certain movies, when you get back and look back in time, and the whole reason we do our hindsight awards is that some will probably not stand the test of time. Sure. And looking back in hindsight, we think maybe it should have been awarded a little bit different. Yeah, it's I mean, we could do a whole episode just talking about, you know, why we think that the Oscars isn't true or whatever. Um, and, and since we're, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the, the conundrum that it provides us, let's talk about some of the, you know, some maybe not surprises per se, but some of the things that we didn't really care about. Like, for example, I wasn't super hot about Bohemian Rhapsody going four for four leading up to Best Picture. Uh, it won the most awards of the night with four awards, uh, two uh, sound awards, and uh, obviously, you know, the lead actor award um, and editing as well, which, you know, is interesting because I don't think it's a very well edited movie, but a lot of people say that with a director that was fired, you know, in the midst of filming that it was saved in the editing room. And so I guess that's an explanation that that makes sense to me, I suppose. Um, Green Book taking best picture with three wins total is, again, you know, it, I just don't see how a movie like Green Book that feels very middle of the road wins best picture. But that is goes into a larger conversation about the preferential ballot. You know, there's been tweets um, from people who've talked to insiders who say that if the best picture went to popular ballot, there's no way Green Book would have won. Like that Green Book was probably more on more people's number three spot than anything else. 
And that's an interesting conversation to be had. So, you know, the preferential ballot is such an interesting conundrum uh, in voting, you know, in that fact that it's the only way that it's the only award. It's the only category that does preferential balloting and preferential voting. So whatever. I don't think it's going to age well, but we'll talk about it later on. Um, I think more interestingly is how we're seeing a paradigm shift with the way that things are working with Netflix. Netflix went out and got, I think it was A24's Oscar marketing team, right? Because a big converse, a big part of what we've talked about, a big part of the conversation ever since Shakespeare in Love 20 years ago has been the campaigning. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of casual listeners of this podcast don't know this. They don't read the trades. They don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff. But these studios go out and they hire entire teams of people who are on the phones talking to producers talking to voters they're putting together screenings they're putting together parties and they're trying to get you know the voters to interact with the nominees so that hey you like this guy hey remember this guy at this party you should vote for him he put in a lot of work and blah 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 and it didn't really work to sh- i mean netflix threw a lot of money to get roma uh uh you know, a bunch of nominations, and it didn't get him the big prize. It didn't get him best picture. That's interesting to me because Green Book, as as much of a controversial movie as it's been, you know, didn't probably run like a super heavy campaign. So I don't know, man. It's it it to me, this Oscars feels more confusing than anything. I think that there are a lot of confusing elements. That happened with this Oscars, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this big change, right? The Oscars have brought in a ton of new blood. Mm-hmm. And in some places you can see that, as you said, production design and costume design and stuff like that. But in other ways, such as Best Picture, uh, it feels very old fashioned. So, you know, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know how you felt about it. Um, I don't know how, how you felt in terms of like, did it feel like the old Oscars again? Did it feel like the new Oscars again? Well, here's here's my thing, and maybe this is a bad take um, because I don't know enough uh, about the inner workings of the Academy. Um, but to me, I think everybody rushes to say because I think it's easy because, you know, not to generalize it, but like um, the people that are behind, you know, the – the Spike Lee and Black Klansmen and First Reform movies and right. um, The Favorite and a lot of those, you know, maybe not popular films, but, you know, critically acclaimed f- films. Yeah. Um, but again, we're talking about Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody that, okay, you got Bohemian Rhapsody, your typical film um, where it's a biopic more or less uh, involves music a ton, uh-huh. something that generally has had a good, um, you know, recipe to doing well at the Oscars um, typically. typically. But at the same time, uh, I think of movies like Ray and even movies like Walk the Line and some of the ones that jump out to me, those ones were generally critically loved as well. Yeah. Um, they weren't really ripped on. These were bad movies. They didn't deserve to get no, they were mal- nominated. Well made. They were well-made movies. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. The actors sang their songs. You know what? <laughs> you know what, though? With Bohemian Rhapsody, and this is why I struggle a little bit with wondering whether this is 
Bohemian doing well, um, and it went four for five, I think. Um, the only one it missed yep. on was Best was Picture. Best Picture, yep. Um, but I think it may not necessarily be immediately a cause of like the old guard. Um, yes, actors love those flashy type of performances, and sure. so I could see them easily rewarding that. But you also have to remember, like, how many of our friends and family said Bohemian Rhapsody was like their favorite movie. Yeah, last they year. liked it. Like people ate up Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you're so engaged in seeing all these movies, seeing the smaller films and seeing these critically acclaimed films, it's easy to just, you know, discount a movie um, and not recognize that, you know, the overall feelings towards Bohemian Rhapsody. Sure. There's tons of people that are on Twitter that are saying, Bohemian Rhapsody deserved everything that it won. It should have won Best Picture, too. Sure, sure. And so I don't know with all these flood of new voters whether that helped or hurt. Like, whether that helped Bohemian Rhapsody or hurt it. I mean, we don't know unless we were to see the ballots and who was the one that filled out each and every one of them. Right. And the same thing with Green Book. I mean, I know plenty of people that went and saw Green Book and said it was one of, if not their favorite film of the year. Really as enjoyed well. it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. And so, um, again, it, it's tough to say, you know, a, a movie like The Favorite, um, even Klansmen and some of those, they just weren't as accessible. Um, one, not as many people saw them. Green right. Book, you know, made a good amount of money. It's close to 160 on a. 50 million budget or whatever right. it was worldwide right uh worldwide okay um it's like 70 i think That's uh good. domestically That's, which yeah. is pretty good for a best picture nominee um and then you have like black panther obviously that did really well um and i think black panther and roma both are in those situations of i'm not sure if people are ready one to give a marvel movie a best picture yet mm-hmm Right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the conundrum of not only was it a Netflix movie, but it was a black and white foreign, foreign film, film like that everybody knew was going to win best foreign film. Right. So you wonder how many people were like, I don't need to reward Roma for best picture. I can split my vote. I can give Roma foreign film and, and I can vote and director. I know right. it's going to get director so I can reward another film that I really liked for best picture. Exactly. They try to spread the love. I mean, we can't get into the minds. We're not voting on the Oscars. No, but it makes sense. But you can only think of human nature we like should. if I'm checking the boxes for these different ones. And obviously the same people don't necessarily vote for director um, that vote for best picture. Right. Um, At least when, when picking the nominees. Exactly. You know, you bring up an interesting point, David, which is that. As much as people as as much as people put Roma at the top of their list of likely to win Best Picture, it had so much going against it historically speaking. It like you said, it was a foreign film. It was a black and white foreign film. It was a black and white foreign film set in the seventies. It was on Netflix, who nobody likes in Hollywood. And, and and do you do you just find yourself humming along to the music that was in Roma too? Yeah, do, yeah. <laughs> like, well, that is they when they played the Spanish version of Hotel California <laughs> on the clip. I'm like, what fucking movie? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Are you, I think it was. No, they played. Um, what was it? Stairway to Heaven. No. They played a rock song, a Spanish version of a rock song. Yeah, I'll 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 you tell do, you in you a second. You do the research really quick. But that movie doesn't have any music in it other than like, you know, uh what's the word I'm looking for? 
you know, a- ambient music in the background and stuff, stuff that's in the uh, in the actual moment. And the the clip they played is insane. But yeah, man, I think that when you look back, and we'll talk about hindsight, but when you look back at why Roma didn't win Best Picture, Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director. He won Best Cinematography. He won Best Foreign Film. He now has four separate Oscars for different things that he's done. He won one for Gravity. He he himself directly won three for Roma. That's pretty impressive. And going going back to another thing you said, which is about spreading the love. In, you know, this is both good and bad because, oh, I'm going to give it to this movie and then I'm going to give it to another movie. We're going to spread the wealth, right? I miss the times where we had that one dominant movie that is just cleaning up in the Oscars, you know? Mad Max won seven Academy Awards. They were all technical awards, unfortunately, but it won seven awards. The last movie to win more than that, that was actually, like, one best picture, was Slumdog Millionaire, which is super weird because I don't think that that movie ages or, or is particularly still in the zeitgeist of the conversation as much, you know, anymore, but that movie, that Slumdog Millionaire won eight Oscars. Like, that's crazy to me. So you don't get that dominant force either. Uh, it's just real. The Oscars are interesting, man. The, they spread the love all over the place. Let me ask you a question, okay? Because you, you brought up a, you brought up an interesting point, which is that it's like watching your, your favorite sports team, right? I don't think that that's entirely inaccurate, but to me, it's more like watching the Olympics where they give grades. You know, it's not about who scores the most points on the opposite team. It's about who earns the most points in an individual achievement, like gymnastics. That's the one I'm thinking of mostly is gymnastics, right? And so when you look at these films, I look at them, uh, particularly with performances, and you were talking about this in production design and costume design as how high is the level of difficulty, right? So you look at what Rami Malek did in Bohemian Rhapsody, where he was able to, and the Academy loves people playing real people. I don't know why, but they do. And four out of the five Best Actor nominees played real people. And you can watch these real people and you can break down their nuances and you can capture their essence and whatnot. But one could argue that Rami Malek's performance in Bohemian Rhapsody had a lower difficulty setting than something like what Christian Bale did or what Bradley Cooper did. Bradley Cooper created his own character completely from scratch. He, he, you know, picked out and, and created this character. Whereas Rami Malek, you know, you can watch as many Freddie Mercury videos as you want. You can watch the entire uh, live aid performance that they did at the end of the movie. And yeah, like, okay, he's doing a good job mimicking it and whatnot. And he's doing a good job uh, lip syncing and whatnot. Is the difficulty level that high for him? You know what I mean? And to your point about Black Panther, let me try this on for size. Black Panther won costume design and production design, right? And you you brought up how it's more difficult to create something from nothing. You know, they they had to take futuristic elements, they had to go back into African history and blend it together to create a brand new thing out of nowhere. But could one argue that the funding adds to a difficulty level? Like, for example, the favorite, what, is on, you know, Fox Searchlight. 
It's not a very high budget. They got to do all this stuff with with ten million dollars, whereas Black Panther has two hundred million dollars. It has the time and the money and the effort and the energy and all that kind of stuff. So, do you think that that impacts the way that you look at Oscars, or do you look at just the skill itself? You know, like how 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 do you feel about that? Does it matter? Does it not matter? Does it matter that Black Panther had a two hundred fifty million dollar budget? And they can literally do whatever they want, whereas Mary Queen of Scots budgets like I don't know twelve million dollars, fifteen million dollars. I, I mean, the to, in front of to me. me, it shouldn't. I mean, you go out intending to make a certain type of film. That's that's up to you. That's like you know, and and look, I love sports, so I relate things back to sports of a lot course. but that's like what's well, Mar- competition that's like march madness saying you know the small school should get a handicap because they're playing duke who's got a bigger program and gets better recruits and all that they kind of talk stuff. about like, it in college football if you want to if you want to win on the highest level then you need to be prepared to go up against any sure um and all options that are out there and the fact that matter is is very rarely does the big budget film? It's almost a handicap to to make a film with a massive budget. It feels like for the Oscars um, because they almost never get rewarded. Right. Um, Avatar is the only one that immediately comes to mind that obviously did well, uh, but it didn't even win Best Picture. No. Um, and you wonder if you know when you get a three hundred million dollar budget or a two hundred million dollar budget, whatever it be. Um, does the Academy as a whole look down? And one could argue that the other common bond with a big budget is typically that it's a more pop culture. Sure. Or, you know, a lot of them are superhero movies and things a like that. A lesser uh, quality? I don't know. You know, a perceived maybe lesser quality. Um, so to me, it shouldn't matter. I mean, a good movie is a good movie, whether sure. it costs $1,000 or a billion dollars to make, you know, like a, a movie is either good or it's bad. It's either high quality or it's bad quality. Right. Or, you know, and it, all of it's an opinion anyways, and yes. none of this really matters. And it's, this is so stupid. Exactly. And so that's where I think, you know, that's why I enjoy watching the Oscars as much as maybe I get frustrated at the end, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> I don't know what people were thinking and, and who am I to tell someone that they voted incorrectly. Uh, but it doesn't matter that it doesn't mean we can't dissect it and complain about it and, sure. and make a podcast out of it. Exactly. Um, well, speaking of money, before we move on, let's take a real quick little ad break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue on, I want to remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button or following us wherever you are listening from right now. Just take a couple of seconds. Just hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. We really appreciate you listening, being part of the Good Movie Buddy community, and we, we want you to write that review. We want you to give us those five stars. We want you to subscribe and share us with all of your other Good Movie Buddies. We also want to remind you that you can check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. And not only is that going to help us improve the podcast, the Oscar competition that we do, but it's also going to get you access to some cool stuff like exclusive patron-only episodes 
such as franchise refills. Um, of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, all of our Oscar predictions. You can check out our Hindsight Awards all on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But David, let's talk about let's go back to a positive note. Let's talk about some of our favorite moments of the film. Some kind of some of my favorite takeaways. We already talked about Olivia Coleman and just how much of a delight she was on uh, you know in her speech. That was delightful. I, I definitely want to mention that. We talked about how we had two African American women women winning in something other than an acting category for a superhero movie, for like a legit great superhero movie. That's awesome as well. How did you feel about the uh, not having the hosts? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought that the the um, the show moved pretty swiftly. You know, I thought having Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and Maya Rudolph come up at the beginning and do a quick little bit was. A, I mean, you gotta just start the show with a bit. But for the most part, I enjoyed not having a host. How about you? Did you did you like? feel like you missed a host i didn't i liked it i i thought it i thought it was good i think you know you know this is a, a show about hollywood I, so i think getting as many you know talented people up there doing little bits and that is more entertaining to me than one person kind of driving it as well as you know oscars can get really long and i don't uh, want yeah. i don't want to sacrifice acknowledging people that worked really hard and this is a big moment for them. Um, like it was talked about leading up, you know, dropping four of the categories. Um, I would rather give up some of the stunts and the gags sure. that the hosts feel like they need to do. Um, I would rather give up those and still acknowledge the people and just get shorter, you know, more streamlined show like what we got today. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still ran over the three hours, but not by much. I think it was probably, I don't have the exact runtime, but my guess would be like three hours and 20 minutes, which isn't bad um, by any means. No. Um, Only things I wasn't a huge fan of, um, I thought the musical numbers were all not that great. And that comes up to the point of maybe they can cut them. Like, I thought the Queen opening, like opening with Adam Lambert and Queen was just kind of weird. Obviously, you can open up with... Rami Malek and Queen because he didn't he sing didn't it. Sing his own damn music. Um, but I mean, it got the crowd rocking. It got him pumping. But it, it was just hyped. an awkward thing. Like you felt like I didn't know whether the people in the crowd were actually rocking to Queen or felt obligated to rock to Queen. <laughs> um, because I don't know. Look, Adam Lambert's a great singer, but he ain't no Freddie Mercury. I mean, no one is. And so it's not going to be as good as listening to Freddie Mercury sing no. it. So, um, I mean, not to, I mean, go, I mean, you look at, it was a re- weird representation of the songs this year because none of the people who sang the songs in the films other came than, to sing those songs. Other than Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Which we'll get to. Um, um, Kendrick Lamar didn't make it this year. He he didn't refuse to come. There was a scheduling conflict, and he's just like, this is not as important to me. Um, and then uh, you and I talked about this. The Buster Scruggs song that they did, they just had the two. I don't even know who did it. Apologies to whoever performed that. Like I'm sure that you, there are people out here who are like, oh, that's so-and-so, and you don't know them, you dumbass. And I apologize for that. But I didn't know the two people who were singing the Buster Scruggs song. And to me, that performance 
personified why we can cut songs because the joy of that song in Buster Scruggs is how ridiculous it is. Is Tim Blake Nelson with angel's wings flying up in the air playing a harp. And when you just have these two, you know, folk folk singers strumming their, their instruments, singing up there, singing a beautiful rendition of the song you're not capturing why it was actually nominated. Yeah. I know that song. I love that song. I watched that performance. It was like, why is this song nominated? Yeah. You know, so whatever. Cut the songs. Um, that shallow performance, though, man, I have seen across the board reactions to it. I loved it. Number one, I loved how they snuck it up on you. Every other song they actually introduced not that one. Suddenly, curtain rises. We're in a different camera point of view the entire time. They're still time. setting up the stage. They're still setting it up right there. Cooper and Gaga come out of the audience and do it. And they are, and again, these guys are professional performers, right? But I'm, I, I've said well, it before. One is. Well, they're both professional performers. Not singers. Not singers, but performers. They both know how to put on a show, right? Mark my words. <laughs> There will be in the future news of the Bradley Cooper divorce. Like there is just so some people read it as super awkward as if they were trying too hard. But I have I have watched the way that these people that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga have interacted with each other over the course of this campaign and over the course of the time the movie's been out. And those two put their souls into this. And I truly believe that they have connected in a way that is very awkward to some people. The whole time I was thinking about that performance, it's probably not a good thing, but the whole time I was thinking about that performance was Bradley Cooper's wife is in the audience watching this happen. How weird is that? See, and I read it differently. And I loved it. <laughs> I read it differently. Um, one, you know, and this this isn't my own original thought, but it's it's been talked about with all this lead up and all the awkward as I perceive them, awkward Bradley Cooper and uh-huh. Lady Gaga moments through this whole award season. Um, but there's been talk about that, like, Lady Gaga is known for, like, just staring down through people's souls that she's singing with. Sure. Um, and so that was not out of her norm. Um, and to me, all of their kind of interplay, one, I think, is a product of, of making a movie together. Uh, Mahershala and, and Vigo definitely seem to have a bromance. Yeah. Um, they had a good time. But I also think it was all part of selling this movie more, you know, bringing back those feelings of what you felt when you watched A Star is Born. Right. And so, like, I yeah. think at all the awards things, even with the whole very planned, as I pointed out, uh, Bradley Cooper going to her show and going up on stage um, and that. And and I do think, you know, Lady Gaga does feel um, a huge amount of debt to Bradley Cooper because he pushed very hard for her to play this role. And obviously, you know, I think we both agree she did a great job, not just performing the songs in the movie, but acting actually acting which yeah. i think was a surprise to everybody anytime you get a singer that branches out and and becomes an actor or actress whatever you want to say um it's 
you know, it's always 50-50 whether it'll be like, okay, she's just in here because she can sing the songs. Right. Or, okay, she can sing the songs, but she also does a pretty good job acting. And I thought she did a good job acting. And, and it may lead to new and additional opportunities sure. for her. You never know. Sure. Um, and so I think there's a lot of debt. I don't read it the whole breaking up. Um, every time they cut to Bradley Cooper's wife, yeah, um, she seemed pretty happy. Not and enough. It, and not in like a fake like i'm faking it for the camera like she seemed like generally having a good time i wanted so. more cuts to her during the performance as I, I was a little but upset. the thing is is why the would the performance feel any different than the whole movie felt right. um or right every other award show that she's gone right as the third wheel with them well just so. like i mean how do you have any trust in that i think industry? the only reason people are thinking this is because of the recent news that gaga and her yep fiance waiting for the other shoe to drop separated drop anyways, the other shoe this is the popcorn diet not the <laughs> national inquirer not the, not the gossip diet not yeah. us weekly no um okay man so let's talk about the future right um what do you think will age well out of this what do you what do you think will age the best to me it's the fact that campaigning hasn't worked kind of over the last three years. Like if you look at you look at the last few winners, you have a shape of the shape of water, which didn't really have a lot of heavy campaigning. It was more of like this Guillermo is due and this film is pretty much universally enjoyed. And there wasn't, you know, again, wasn't a ton of of big issues there. And you look at when Moonlight won, and and I don't know if Moonlight won as a product of campaigning or not, but it was certainly one of the smaller films to win Best Picture. I like I like that. I don't I don't know, but I, I like that the the big campaigning studios didn't win. I like that Green Book was an Amblin movie. Uh, I don't think that Green Book's going to age well as a winner, um, but. Yeah, I don't well, know. I, well, here's I, I the like thing. that overall. Here's the thing on the campaigning topic. Like, I know we talk about this, which movies are getting pushed a lot, which ones aren't. Sure. The fact of the matter is, probably the most meaningful campaigning, we don't really hear about. No. Um, oh, no. Not even close. You know, it's it's the parties. It's the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, people talked about, you know, but I mean, a lot of people have said, you know, like Glenn Close beat the streets and went to parties and all that kind of stuff, you know, marketing Ugh. her bid for an Oscar for the wife. And, and obviously that didn't end up turning out. So um, maybe it is that campaigning's not working and maybe it's the, the public campaigning, the stuff that you can more notice right. isn't working as much as, you know, things that happen behind closed doors or, or a little less obvious. Sure. I don't know. And it could be too, I think also, you know, talking about the last three years, we also talked about how the Academy has been changing a lot in the last three years. And so I think that could even be a case of it's not that campaigning doesn't work. It's that people don't aren't are still trying to do the old style of campaigning. Sure. With a new a Academy. New academy. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And, and maybe, you know, that has to be reapproached in, in how you campaign, quote unquote, um, to do it. Uh, but it's it's an interesting topic. And it's one of the things I like the least about um, the Oscars is the whole topic of campaigning. Right. Because um, right. it goes to, beyond. To me, a movie should campaign for itself. And 
um, you know, you shouldn't have to do stupid stunts. Like you shouldn't have to go on Oprah and throw parties, throw show parties and show up shows. at places, you know, like <laughs> that stuff to me is just silly. Um, but it's Hollywood and they like themselves. We, so we haven't even talked about like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse winning best animated feature, which is going to age really well. well and that the movie's genius. The thing about that though is, you know, that may have been, if you asked me six months ago, or even before Incredibles 2 came out, right? and you told me Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was going to win the best animated, I would have said that's a really awesome a, surprise. That's an awesome surprise. A bold statement that but, Sony, who is in the midst of a spider crisis, made a Spider-Man movie that is an Oscar winner. That being said, once it came out, it became a foregone conclusion. Like. Yeah. Nothing's Not, ever foregone. That's what they said about the Lego it, movie. It was about as big of a lock as you got. I um, mean, we can say that now. I no. don't trust the Academy enough to say those things. I, If you would have given me all of these categories and told me to rank my locks, Spider-Man pretty high would have been my number one sure followed by probably shallow and mahershala those were my top three locks sure um and probably alfonso was somewhere in there as that. well what um, else will age well spike winning an oscar finally spike winning an oscar um this gets on the whole topic of people winning their oh first boy. oscars yes and where it falls into um you know the rankings of what they've done and whether you know, really that should be the movie that they get their Oscar for exactly. or their first Oscar for. I think if you go back to, um, you know, even Glenn Close, we talked about how, you know, leading up to it and obviously she didn't win, which part it's of me, is, yeah, part it's... of me is relieved from the fact that like, I don't want Glenn Close winning for the wife. Uh, yeah. Um, that being said, she is 71. Yeah, she's one of literally been doing this she's, forever. She's 71. She should have won for Dangerous Liaisons. I was going to say, and that brings me to the topic of what should she have won for? Right. Um, she's been nominated seven times. Seven times. First Lost time was times. first time was in 83 for Supporting Actress uh, for The World, according to Garp. Okay. Uh, second time was in 84, so back-to-back years. Okay. Uh, supporting Actress for The Big Chill. Okay. Uh, 85, so three straight years. Yep. Uh, supporting Role in The Natural. None, no love. Uh, then 88, Fatal Attraction. I, uh, 80, 89, Dangerous Liaisons. That's the one. 2012, Albert Knobs. Albert fucking Knobs. And 2019, For the Wife. For the Wife. I mean, really, they the one that should have been is either Dangerous Liaisons or, or even Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Um, because you were already at peak. She had already been nominated three times. So right. if you want to do the whole she's due, right. you had those opportunities. Um, so it's a little interesting. And you you take that same thought process to Spike, too. Like, this guy made Do the Right Thing. He made Malcolm X. Like, those are movies that he should have not only been nominated for, but probably should have won. Like, same with Denzel. Like, Denzel not winning for Malcolm X is crazy. And yet, at the same time, David, we get Rami Malek winning for what I personally and what many people seem to feel is a substandard performance while Willem Dafoe, you know, again, I wouldn't, you know, have Willem Dafoe win for At Eternity's Gate. I'd have him win for Speed 2 Cruise Control or something. But, <laughs> like, how does how does someone like Glenn Close, 
work is 71 she's been in this game for a long time everybody knows she's one of our greatest actresses how does she go without a win all this time and then Rami Malek comes in and one of his first leading roles in film wins an Oscar how, who judges what whose time it is so tell me this which is if I want I want to wrap up Glenn Klaus here real quick okay so in what is this 88 88 or 89. Tell me which one she should have won. In okay. 89, when she was da- Dangerous Liaison, she okay. lost to Jodie Foster for The Accused. Oh, okay. Tough competition. Tough competition. 88, though, she lost to Cher for that Moonstruck. One. That one. That one. That was... Again. If we could do hindsight on that specific year and a, Glenn Close's career, that is listen, the mistake. And Cher's delightful in Moonstruck. Like, she's funny and witty and, and, and good in it. But, like... When we go back and we look at this, it's it's just crazy. It's crazy to talk about. Um, okay, so that kind of leads us into what won't age well, and we've already talked about this. I don't think the Green Book win is going to age well at all. I can already not wait to do the hindsight awards on this, which is what we'll we'll get to in a second. I don't think the Rami Malek win is going to age very well. Um, I don't know, man. I it, you know what's interesting? We haven't really talked about this. We talked about. Uh, you know, we talked about the, the the women winning, you know, the the Oscars and stuff like that. But we haven't talked about the fact that, you know, you look at Best Original Screenplay went to Green Book and Black Klansman. And everybody's talking about how, like, Green Book is, oh, white people solve racism, right? But it's dealing with racial injustices, right? Yep. Same thing with Black Black Klansman. It's dealing with racial injustices. Look at the, the awards that Black Panther has won. Look at the awards that Bohemian Rhapsody won, which is about a LBGTQ icon, you know, from the 80s. You look at Green Book as a Best Picture winner. Like, and and uh, these are progressive wins. Yep. You know, these are, we're celebrating the LBGTQ community. We're celebrating and and looking towards solving racial inequality with these wins and things like that. And, and people are still angry. And I don't know if that's going to age good or bad. But to me, like, you look at the wins and you see Rami Malek wins for play, playing Freddie Mercury. Mahershala Ali, Mahershala, excuse me, wins for playing Don Shirley. And Olivia Coleman, the favorite. That's what that's all got LBGTQ all over it. Like these are progressive wins. Well, I also thought it was funny that some of the controversy, obviously the Bohemian Rhapsody, the majority of the con- controversy was around Brian Singer. Right. Um, and the film not being that great, but, but that's my opinion. Uh, but there was also kind of that talk of like it wasn't super accurate. It was through, told through the lens of like, you know, people actually in the band and things right. like that. And so it was very much tweaked to fit their their storytelling of it. Um, and then one of the things with Green Book was just, you know, the outrage from uh, Mahershala's character's family, Dr. Shirley, is right. it? Um, and his family taking issue with some of the inaccuracies and that kind of thing. And I just always find it funny, um, you know, and I'm not defending Green Book in any way. Um, because I don't know the truth and I don't know enough of the story to judge it one way or another. I try to just judge it on the actual film itself. Sure. Um, which makes, which made me not think it was the best picture of the year. Right. Um, it's okay. But I, I hate going into this whole, like, it's not a true enough story. Like how many films do we get that are quote unquote based on a true story that take their own creative liberties to, 
tell the story that, sure, at the end of the day, they think will work better for the movie. Sure. Like that happens every single time a true story. Very rarely do you get something that is verbatim someone's life or verbatim the story. Right. Like even war movies sometimes will slightly tweak what happened in a battle just because it flows better in the film. Like Braveheart's a classic example. Exactly. And so I just hate when we have this double standard where – you know, certain movies, it's okay for them to create take creative liberties, and some, it's not. It's pretty so, egregious in Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, like uh, there are some absolutely massive liberties. But is this film supposed to be an exact biopic? Sure. It, is or is it supposed to be inspired by the story? Right. Um, and if it was inspired, well, that's. I mean, you look at Rocket Man coming out with Taron Egerton. And about Elton John. And to me, like, that is, okay, now we're doing some things right because, number one, he's singing. Number two, he's doing the performance. And number three, it's it, they're, they're already, you know, positioning it as, like, based on a true fantasy, which yeah. is we're going to make some artistic liberties to this. We're going to do some fantastical elements to this. Yeah. And they never did that with Bohemian Rhapsody. They said, like, this is the story. And then they're like, oh, Freddie's doing a solo album and he's breaking up the band. When then that never happened. And I think I don't understand how you can watch a movie that makes Freddie look like a piece of shit who is, oh, I'm partying. And, oh, none of the other band members really wanted to party. Really, Brian May? None of the band mem- members wanted to party? And then Freddie's, oh, I'm going off and doing my solo album. And all of the band is like, fuck you. When in reality, Freddie was the last one to do a solo album. Like, how can you watch that movie and think it's a, like a good thing for Freddie Mercury when it takes these big swings at his legacy like that? That's interesting to me. Sure. At ab- least. Absolutely. But I don't think... I don't think that should be a factor in whether the movie was good or not. Like, unless we have a a category for best biopic, <laughs> like, there should not be – you shouldn't be judged on how accurately you told the story. Like, it's a movie. Like, unless we're told that this needs to be exactly how it is – then it shouldn't have to follow exactly that line. You go to a movie, it's being sensationalized. It's sure. being told the way that the director and the writers want to mm-hmm. tell it. Um, you know, as long as the movie is really well done, it's acted well, the script works, the editing works, the cinematography is great. Like if all that stuff comes together, then it should be rewarded accordingly. It shouldn't be hurt because, you know, this didn't actually happen in real life. Um, if you want that, go read a biography. It feels disingenuous. Now, I, I don't disagree with you because um, I think it was uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote about Green Book and wrote about how it's not a movie's job to tell fact. It's a movie's job to tell truth. And this is how certain people reacted. And this is how, you know, thing you know there's a difference between truth and fact. Sure. Truth is how you feel about a situation. Fact is what happened. Yeah. Um, and so that's an interesting thing. But to me, it feels a little disingenuous when you put a movie out and you say this is based on a true story. This is the life of Freddie Mercury. And then you do these things that make him look kind of like a dick or you go back to Braveheart and it's, oh, William Wallace might be the father of the new, you know, the 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 child prince of England or whatever. And that shit is categorically untrue. And you have a lot of people who don't know Queen's backstory sure. who are walking away like, oh, Freddie did some rough things to the band. When that's not true, it's tough. It's it, it's. Guess but, what? I still absolutely love Braveheart. Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll roll with it. Now you brought up an interesting point, David. 
which is new categories. You brought up best biopic, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you know there have been talk of new categories. We were having a conversation about whether we think that they're going to get rid of gender categories and just do performances, something that the MTV Movie Awards has done. That's interesting. The new popular, you know, the best popular movie, I think is really dumb. But like again, people are beating their horns, or they're beating their, beating their horns. They're beating their drums for things like best stunts or best casting. The in memoriam section had stunt performers and casting directors who make the decisions on like, okay, let's bring these people in for the film and yeah. cast it. Yeah. And that's a highly skilled position. How do you feel about some of those awards becoming new categories? Are you into it? Um, I'm into it. Some of them. Here, here's the issue that they face. Um, something like most popular would be something that you do that would help ratings because it's going to bring in more audiences potentially that are engaged in the movies that are in there because they are the quote-unquote popular films. Sure. To me, the problem with popular is it's incredibly difficult to determine – What's popular? What's not? Like, what's the standard for that? Does it have to have a certain budget number? Does it have to make a certain box office number? Like, what determines what's a popular movie? And the other problem that you get is it creates even more division in the Oscars in the sense that, like, would Black Panther have gotten a nomination for Best Picture if there was a Best Popular? Or would it have only been in Best Popular movie? And so I think it just creates even more potential disaster in um, the nominations. I would love something like stunts, but it's just adding another technical category that I think the Oscars perceives that no one that is tuning in wants to see, um, which I would disagree with. But to me, they were already trying to chop off technical categories. And so um, why would they end up adding more in there? Um, The one that I do think could work on both levels would be casting. And I think you just follows somewhat what the SAG Awards does with the ensemble, ensemble. Um, okay. category. I don't think eliminating genders would work. Um, It'd be real tough. Because it would lead to we could go on a run where there's six straight years where we get guys. And then you're going to get the outcry of we get no female rep. rep- representation. Yeah, there will be a lot of growing pains with that change. Like to me, I think that's it's unless you're gonna do like best actor and make it, you know, male or female, um in a drama. Right. And best actor in a comedy. And either one of them do genres instead of you do genres instead of uh genders. Like that to me could potentially work because then you could get representation from both but we talked about one of the biggest difficulties in hollywood in general still is quality roles for you know underserved groups whether it be women finding quality roles which has improved a ton but still could improve um quality roles for minorities it's gotten a whole lot better but it could still improve more i think if you take away categories you're only going to run into more problems there sure Um, so i think if you have less acting categories you're going to have a bigger problem of equality and representation that they're already struggling with and is a big topic interesting man it's it's 
the future will be very, very interesting. Now, we've already talked about what we don't think is going to age very well from this particular uh, Oscars year. Um, but we're not going to take a look back at it for a while. We're not going to look back at on it in hindsight for a while. We're going to let it simmer. We're going to let it simmer. Um, and so with that, we will wrap up this episode with our final Hindsight Awards winners. Now, this is probably the last year that we um, will do three different years. I think we're only going to move to looking back every 20 years now. I think that'll just give us more things to work with and whatnot. Um, and also, that one got the most, you know, most, uh, you know, feedback and, and reception to it. So let's start with that. Let's start with 1998 Best Supporting Actress. We're going to rattle through the winners here. You can go to popcorndietpodcast.com to look at the original nominees and whatnot. But I just want to rattle off who won so for best supporting actress in 1998 it was very close judy dench previously won for shakespeare in love but this time Catherine zeta jones ended up winning for her breakthrough role in the mask of zorro for best supporting actress or i'm sorry actor in 1998 uh we originally had i believe it was james coburn for uh god i can't even remember the name of it all of a sudden um, but it was James Coburn and John Goodman for The Big Lebowski was our winner. Best Actress for 1998 winded up it being a, a race between Gwyneth Paltrow, who won, and Kate Blanchett. And Kate Blanchett came out on top for her role in Elizabeth. Best Actor was another one that, you know, was just... A, <sighs> Roberto Benigni just out, you know, not even a part of it. Uh, this one kind of surprised me in that Edward Norton won the hindsight 1998 hindsight award for best actor for his role in American History X. Best director. This is one of the few complete and total shutouts. Steven Spielberg still the winner. Got all of the votes to win best act best director in 1998, and then best picture. Saving Private Ryan by a very wide margin was our 1998 Best Picture. Other votes went to Truman Show, American History X, Big Lebowski. So a really good Zero showing. votes for Shakespeare in Love. Zero. Rick, Rick felt good about that one. I did feel very good about that. Zero votes for that. So that was 1998 again. You know, we went with Catherine Zeta-Jones. We went with John Goodman. Uh, when I say we, I mean you. The voters voted for Kate Blanchett, voted for Edward Norton, Steven Spielberg, and Saving Private Ryan. For 2008, Best Supporting Actress, previous winner Penelope Cruz lost to Frida Pinto for Slumdog Millionaire. So that's really interesting that Frida Pinto wound up taking that. Heath Ledger, another one of our total shutouts. I mean... The Dark Knight, Heath Ledger, The Joker. It's iconic. It will be iconic forever. He's keeping that award. One of the few, uh, one of the few winners who kept that award. Best actress went to Kate Winslet again for the reader. Wow, I was really. I mean, there wasn't a very strong field that year, if we're being honest. But Kate Winslet keeps her Oscar from two thousand and eight for the reader. Best actor. We made some big changes on this one as well. Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler winds up taking home Best Actor. 2008 Hindsight Best Director. Again, this was the year that Danny Boyle won for Slumdog Millionaire. But the Hindsight winner was Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight. 
And then 2008, hindsight, best picture. You can kind of see where this is probably going to go. But the Dark Knight wins the 2008 Best Picture Award. Other vote-getters were Slumdog Millionaire, Wally, Step Brothers, Iron Man. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button got some love in there as well. But for 2008, your winners again are Frida Pinto, Heath Ledger, Kate Winslet for The Reader. We had Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler. Christopher Nolan as Best Director, and The Dark Knight as Best Picture. And then last but certainly not least, five years ago, 2013, Best Supporting Actress, Lupita Nyong'o won for 12 Years a Slave, and she won again here. Best Supporting Actor, Jared Leto won for Dallas Buyers Club, and he won again here. I have... I have some doubts on this one. I'm, I did not vote for Jared Leto. I ended up voting I did for not. Jonah Hill here. Who'd you vote for? Jonah Hill. You vote, well, you know, our guests, the people have spoken. They've spoken against us, and Jared Leto keeps his award. Best Actress. Um, originally, it was Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Zero votes for Kate Blanchett. Sandra Bullock for Gravity, winning the Hindsight Best Actress Award. Best Actor. This is when Matthew McConaughey... Oh, David, we get to make a judgment call here. One of the few, if maybe the only tie that we have in the entire thing, we have McConaughey for his math, his uh, Dallas Buyers Club role, and we have DiCaprio for the Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, both tied. David, if you had to pick one of those, which one would you pick? Leo. As would I. So I, officially they are tied. Unofficially, we're giving it to Leo. Best director. Now, this is going back. This is when Alfonso Cuaron won his first directing Oscar for Gravity, and he wins it again here. He keeps his award for Gravity. And then last but certainly not least, 2013 Hindsight Best Picture. This one is actually somewhat surprising to me. A lot of different vote-getters, but the winner, The Wolf of Wall Street. I think the surprises, biggest surprise to me was Pacific Rim getting three votes yeah look i i enjoy pacific rim <laughs> but i thought it would come down to i thought wolf of wall street would be there i thought it would mostly be between wolf of wall street 12 years a slave uh who actually won it that year mm -hmm. and gravity uh, I, gravity I, I i go for gravity i love gravity so much but yeah, that's surprise. That is surprise. Rush getting a vote. Shout out to Rush. Fruitvale Station getting getting some love. Fast and Furious Six. Hell yeah. But um, yeah, that was a crazy year. So again, Lupita keeps her Oscar. Jared Leto keeps her Oscar. Sandra Bullock takes the Oscar away from Kate Blanchett. A, a, there's a tie between McConaughey and DiCaprio, but we're giving it to DiCaprio. Cuaron keeps Best Director. And Best Picture gets changed to The Wolf of Wall Street. Really interesting results this year. Uh, for those of you who took the time to vote on them, we really, really appreciate it. And now, finally, we can fi we can finally move on from award season. We can start getting hype for our spring and summer movies. We got Captain Marvel coming out. We got Disney movies coming out. We got horror films. We got superhero movies. We got all kinds of really cool stuff on the way. But before we wrap up, Again, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button, following us wherever you're listening to us. Take the time to write a review, 
Give us a rating. Share with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. And consider donating a few dollars to the podcast. Consider becoming a patron of the podcast to help us improve the podcast, get you more uh, more content, more episodes. we got a lot of cool stuff we want to do, and we can only do it if you go to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet uh, and become a patron. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can always follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our articles, all of our latest episodes, and everything that we put out on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we will see you next time with another good movie on The Popcorn Diet. The champ is out. Adios.